0: This is Jeremy Corbell, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. But what we'll do is we'll jump on to the kind of next half of the show, Michael, where I want to get your thoughts on some of the stuff that's happened over that last year and then finish off with some listener questions. No better place to jump in than a couple of months ago now, we had the US hearings. Did you get a chance to watch those with uh, Dave Fravor, Ryan Graves and David Grush?
1: I couldn't watch them that day. And then I kept meaning to go back and watch them and just didn't. Uh, But I was sent a lot of clips from people. Uh, And and one of the, you know, I was just telling my wife this the other day, one of the best things about where I am in this process now is people send me really cool stuff that I just would never see because nobody can have eyes everywhere on the vastness of the internet or books coming out or even, you know, the monsters in California thing. I didn't know that was a thing but sounds super interesting so um yeah people sent me a lot of clips so i have seen it piecemeal but i didn't watch the whole thing in its
0: entirety i'm the same that i given i'm based in the uk i wake up in the morning to clips and videos and links from people all over especially in the us australia and they'll say oh this happened overnight did you see this and or even folks in the uk who are night owls They'll send me it and see. I was watching this at four yeah. o'clock this morning, and I'm like, Oh yeah. wow, okay. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I got, definitely send them that stuff.
1: I got one of those um, just last week, I think it was some some nice boy, and I don't even know where he's from, uh, in South America. I think, uh, was up at he sent it 3 30 in the morning, so he was probably doing this you know all throughout the night, but he translated. Um from Spanish, all of the dialogue from that mummy forensic autopsy thing.
0: Oh, we're gonna get me. to that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Just for me. I was like, that's so nice. You know, how cool is that? He he valued my opinion, but knew I couldn't read it because I don't speak Spanish, so translated the whole thing. I thought that was, that was super cool.
0: Yeah, there's some very nice folks out there. That there, there are yeah, some nice sure. human beings still left on the planet. Um on <laughs> yeah. David Grush, um, at the end of the day, the, the big headline grabbing stuff was that he came out and said, um, he worked on the different pro, or he saw the projects, he saw the documentation that the US doesn't have crashed craft, biologics, or, or bodies of entities or pilots of some of these craft, and he knew where they were. Again, someone in your position, pretty entrenched now in the UFO topic. What are your thoughts when you start to hear a pretty serious guy coming out, not someone who's 85 years old on their deathbed, terminal right. disease, you know, being filmed yeah. as we've been so used That's in the past? Point. Guy in his mid 30s, I mean, he's younger than me by like a year and he looks a lot better for it than I do. Um, he's clearly looked after himself well. Um, at the peak of his power, seeing what he's saying, what were your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, we got a little bit of information from that, but then it went straight to the skiff talk. You know, it's like that Chappelle show thing where he's like, I played the fifth. And he just keeps saying that the whole time. Like, obviously, Grush was yeah. given as much information as he could, but he's yeah. still not able to. And then once you get into the specifics of that, but I, I don't know if you saw Jesse Michaels daco that he came yes. out with yep. a week and a half, two weeks ago, but Grush gives a little more detail about that and, and mentioned something that I included in um, my, my last book about whether they're, they're manufactured avatars to some extent. Errol's mm-hmm. whole issue in that book is that her avatar was killed in the Roswell crash. So it wasn't her, Like her consciousness was put into it, but it was a version of her that she lost and, you know, kind of impacted her psychologically. But the, um, yeah, he was saying, as they were talking about this time travel idea, and and it's cool that Jesse included this because it is something that a lot of people overlook and struggle with. So the more we can kind of normalize dialogue around time, which is something that, we haven't talked about. And as I mentioned many times, Back to the Future completely ruined people's ability to conceptualize the block universe and how things actually work without paradox. Um, but he was yeah, he was saying the same thing that, that I described with Errol here and others have said as well, that maybe they're these manufactured avatars that are bioengineered. So they're biologics, but they're not the actual human pilots themselves. And even in my first book, I mentioned how they might want to use AI early on to send back in time because of the inherent dangers with that. It's one thing to get in, um, you know, a, a high-speed rocket ship or a jet airplane that they're testing and fly that in our own localized frame of, of four-dimensional space-time. But then, when you start moving things in and out of time, they disappear from your position in space-time and reappear elsewhere. If they don't come back, you know, I think I said you don't want scientists running around with dinosaurs without a being able to get home. So yeah, I think that's probably a part of it. Some of them are clearly human occupants. You know, when we talk about these these sort of short grays that a lot of people think might be robotic or, or more likely bioengineered. Because I think we will get to the point where we move past sort of moving parts. You know, we're going into that now and it's a huge industry and probably will be, and especially because of the the sex robot industry, because that seems to drive most capitalistic pursuits in this, in this day and age. But I think we'll eventually move past that, and CRISPR technology is just going to be replaced over and over by more advanced ways of manipulating our genome. Clearly, gametes are very, very important to these visitors. That's the most ubiquitous thing across abduction accounts is sperm extraction, egg extraction, implanting, taking developing fetuses. You see this over and over and over. Um, so I, I do think there's bioengineering. I disagree with him that it's extraterrestrials doing it. He said in that Jesse Michaels piece that you either have extraterrestrials, and interestingly, he didn't really talk about this time travel theory, he talked about time travel. Jesse did all of the talking about the actual time travel theory and how these mm-hmm. could be future humans. It's a subtle little thing that I caught probably because I am, um, deep You're into this or for potentially it, yeah. you know, selection bias. I'm looking for stuff like that. I have to acknowledge that that's a possibility too. But it, he introduces the idea. David Grush says it's either this thing with extraterrestrials biologically engineering these avatars, which is what I call them in my book, or, and then they cut to Jesse talking about my research and, and the theory as a whole, and then they kind of come back to it, and Jesse does the talking about neoteny, and Grush is, is kind of like, mm. and then they talk about, you know, the holographic principle and the, the sort of zoo model and a lot of things. So it was a really interesting conversation that I feel like we got more about the biologics from that than what we did from his talk in Congress. But I think that was an important place to open the doors to this and say there there are things inside these craft. And he, he alluded to that with um, Ross Colthart too, in the original News Nation interview, that, yeah, when things crash or are landed, there's bodies inside. So he, he kind of started small with that, expanded slightly in Congress, and then expanded a little bit more. And I think that's going to keep happening, that as things become declassified, and as we move toward this disclosure process that I strongly believe is being led by the visitors themselves, I think we're going to get more and more information that starts to answer those questions.
0: I think we mentioned earlier about different forms of media being relevant to different audiences discussing the same subject like you know ufos and david grush the pc done with ross coulter you know he's been on essentially that long form interview on news nation and that is aimed at one audience but then the jesse michaels uh american Al- alchemist podcast that it wasn't so much a long form interview but I've, I've said before it felt like lots of other interviews mashed together and that short snappy yeah, Gen was, Z, there's a darko bang 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 yeah. Um, yeah, but for a younger audience with that short attention span, maybe you could clip it up into smaller bits. But you're getting that same information to a different audience, and I think that kind of yeah. worked well, to be honest.
1: And, and new information too. You yeah, know, you that, can always was, say, well, was. did we actually learn anything? Yeah, there's a ton of really jarring new information. Especially what keeps coming up is how people weren't aware of the Manhattan Project connection. And how easy it would be just to slip this in under that and say, well, we got to protect the nukes and the secrets. So let's just slide this under there because, and I think he even showed some documents where it was any sort of nuclear energy or anything related to that. So they sort of took some creative liberties with related to and just Mm -hmm. put it all under that blanket. And then Grush is saying it's these same draconian assholes that were running it back then. And that just got recapitulated into modern times. So yeah, it's, it's so hard to break through when you have this legacy of assholes, you know, keeping yeah, these secrets. Very, very rich,
0: very rich assholes, very powerful yeah, assholes. and lineage. From those yep. things. Yeah, yeah. no, mm-hmm. of,
1: of course it's going to be hard to break that down because it's a system that they built, you know. How, how much of our even capitalistic system and the wealth that was accrued was funneled up into these projects and these people?
0: Was it Tony Montana and Scarface said first you get the money, then you get the power, then you get access to the crash retrieval programmes. I think it went something like that. So Yeah. And yeah. Method
1: Man said, Cash rules everything around me, cream get the money, dollar dollar bill, y'all. I mean it all comes down to that it all comes down to that green man than Benjamins.
0: Yeah, and that's, that was what the, the hearings were trying to say, wasn't it? That, you know, go after the money. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Timbershade, Anna Plena, Luna, and all that crew were all saying the same thing. That there's a, a cash flow to go after. I want to ask before I forget, because I don't think I asked you this in the other two interviews and you've mentioned it a few times. You've bashed Back to the Future a couple of times um, for its portrayal of time travel. And that, that happens quite a lot from folks with an interest in it. Is there a movie you recommend folks watch or you particularly like for how it does portray portray time travel.
1: Yeah, I mean, I haven't mentioned it for a while. I guess it's feeling kind of old now, but the the show Dark on Netflix, it's probably still on there because it was a really popular show. And then they did a spinoff that was called like 1884 or something. And it got a, it got a little bit weird. Hang on a second. I've got alerts popping up. Do you have those on your end too?
0: Uh, no, nothing on my
1: end. Might not work as you clear data that other sites have stored. Problem saving local backup of audio?
0: Is that um, an issue or? Um, it shouldn't be at the minute, not on my end anyway. Yeah, as long
1: as it's coming through on your end. Um, but yeah, I used to recommend people watch Dark. I also recommend watching it with uh, dubbing because it's just a pain in the, the ass to read subtitles all the time. And the dubbing's really, really good. Like the voice actors are phenomenal. But the whole first and second um, seasons, there's a third two, which goes a little more into the many worlds. But the first two are solid block universe, well-acted, well-portrayed uh, TV drama. It's, it's really well done. Um, Interstellar, I guess, kind of toys around with it. They did it pretty well.
0: It um, disappointed me. I spent years looking yeah, forward to that it. from its Everybody's inception. Everybody's
1: like, it's such a great movie. I'm like, mm, yeah. I, I fucking love Matthew McConaughey. Who doesn't? Me He's too. A I'm a big,
0: huge Nolan fan gums. as well. And I was like, yeah. uh, no pun intended when I say I, I followed it from inception. Great movie. But I remember seeing it was coming out. It was going to be big blockbuster deal with time travel. And then yeah. it came out and I just felt like went a bit too big up its own ass.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not a huge fan, but as far as self consistency, it's not bad. And then my friend Hussein Agramam, the University of Chicago, who is uh, the the uh, famous University of Chicago professor referenced in my my third book. I didn't use his name because it's a pretty fucked up book, but. Um, yeah, so he was telling me, I met him early on in 2019, long before he ever outed himself as being interested and has since gone on, he published one of the first peer reviewed articles about UFOs. Um, but yeah, he mentioned a movie called Precognition or Predestination, I think it is with Ethan Hawke. Uh, and I watched that and that's pretty good too. So, so they're out there, you know, there are people who are consulting with philosophers and physicists to write their screenplays, but, um, it's just, and I've said this before, especially as someone who is writing a time travel story, it's easier to have different timelines because you it's hard to keep things consistent. And and what's I don't know if this is giving something away, but in in this last book, in Revelation, uh, yeah, I think that would give away something really important to the plot line. But but you basically have to decide at the beginning: is this gonna be a many worlds? time travel book or is this going to be uh, a block universe time travel book screenplay whatever it is you're making um and and i i played with that a lot in this book and did so in a way that there's almost a plot twist and a reveal at the end that will bring all of that together because it's been something that's pissed me off since i started watching movies is is they're doing well they're doing well and then all of a sudden they write themselves into a hole and they go oh well now it's Now it's the many worlds. Now it's branching timelines, you know, I've seen that happen. So like the Adam project kind of did that a little bit. Um, So, yeah, I mean, they're definitely out there. There's some good ones There's some bad ones. But it is easier to write science fiction with time travel if you don't adhere to the way time actually works in the block universe context.
0: I know some folks would like to go back in time a few weeks and stop what happened in Mexico happening. So let's move on <laughs> yeah, to that. For sure. Not everyone, not everyone, but some Great segue by the way, too, yeah. bro. That was Thanks. awesome. Yeah, I'm good with those. <laughs> uh, it's one of my many, many talents. Um, one of few, but no, like it's it obviously wasn't
1: lost on me. <laughs>
0: One of those things I woke up to was a whole lot of folks sending me links that Mexico had brought out the alien bodies that we always thought the U.S. would do first. And uh, lo and behold, they did actually do it. Um, Well, they brought out something. When did you first see it? And just give us your thoughts on that whole alien body debacle.
1: Yeah, the dumb mummy thing. Um, It was was that kid that stayed up all night translating that. I, I woke up and that was in my Instagram messages. Um, and yeah, I mean, at first I, I didn't realize at first I kind of, you know, just skimmed through it at like six forty five in the morning and I didn't realize it was the same bullshit from three or four years ago when they were trying to claim these three fingered, three toed mummies or, or actual aliens. But then, you know, once I did, I had a really busy day. I'm pretty sure this all happened on Tuesday. And then Wednesday was like an insane day for me with meetings and interviews and stuff. Um, but by the time I had a chance to look at it, I was like, oh yeah, we've already done this and it's stupid. Why, why are we doing this again? And why did they let these people come out in front of respectable politicians on a world stage and and try to peddle this bullshit all over again? It makes no sense to me. It's, it's, yeah, it's sad. If, if we had time travel right now, we'd probably go back and kick them in the balls for doing that.
0: I think again, I I know I had some folks were like reaching out to me and saying, you know, you've got to give it more time, you've got to give it a little bit more respect and stuff. And I was like, do you know what? I'd I'd, I'd be the first person to be like, I hope it is what it is. But if if it looks too good to be true, it normally is. And there was so it just seemed like the wrong way to do it. If it was going to be genuine, alien, extraterrestrial, something else, the wrong people to present it, the wrong way to present it, the wrong time and place to present it. And it was just like no, it just seemed completely off from the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. And right, like I I'll, say- I'll give you
1: a really succinct, uh, concise list of reasons why it it doesn't make any sense. Um, <clears throat> where to start? First of all, there's there's no articulations. There's just bones stuck next to other bones, a, a mishmash of, of different human bones. I've been told some of these mummies have animal bones too, but you can clearly see certain very identifiable human bones that, were, that had evolved to an upright walking, bipedal form of locomotion, especially with regard to the humeri, the tibia, even the, the somewhat atrophied um, you know bones of the arm so they're stuck in there in these places where there are no articulations and we have this almost law in biology that form follows function and you can look at the form of any tetrapod going back 400 million years and the the bones of whales and snakes and bats and mice all have the same tetrapod forelimb configuration with articulations in the bones that are modified for that animal's specific form of locomotion, okay? And and so the fact that they're all just stuck together with no actual way in which the bones fit together so they move raises a lot of red flags. The other one is that these aliens were all made to look like the same sort of type of species, you know, very small, which is probably because they were robbing the graves of children to make these things, but they're all very small. But if you look at their individual morphologies, they're not even the same organism, or we wouldn't consider them the same species, even or probably genus, because they're taking all of these different bones and throwing them together to make that outwardly appearing alien form. But if you look inside at the bones, they're not even related. You know, we would expect all of these different mummies, if they are part of these same alien entities, to have the exact same morphology, and they don't, especially in the hands. You can see it very clearly in the hands, and you can even see how the hoaxers. We're changing and getting better at making these hands. The first couple that you see, the older ones, are just completely asinine. They don't make any sense whatsoever, especially when you factor in the articulations. And then lastly, yeah, just that grave robbing thing. These assholes are robbing the graves of children uh, around a thousand years ago and then piecing these things together to de- delegitimize the UFO phenomenon. And and that's disgusting on so many fronts. Um, these, you know, it, we're we're especially in a position as anthropologist, we're especially very easily agitated by that because we go out of our way to protect graves, to protect the, the cultural history of these various indigenous groups. And these assholes are just stealing bones, mashing them together and then selling them to idiots to, to display in front of television cameras. And yeah, the, your, your initial thoughts on that, your intuition is spot on. It's, it's horrible on so many levels.
0: Yeah. And I think the they're looking at potential criminal investigations they given should. the Peru weren't happy. Yeah. Was it the governor of Peru? She wasn't happy that they've taken the bodies out and how that was yeah. allowed. And yeah, it's if you look past the whole oh sensational alien stuff, there's that human element to it that maybe long gone ancestors of ancestors, but children, yeah. adults, whatever it is, it's it's not nice potentially. And yeah, so for me, I think just the story disappearing, how quickly it has says a lot as well. Um Yeah, and there's not a whole lot more to it, and you'd know far more about this stuff than me, and you've put that that across. Yeah, I
1: did did an interview here in the States on a show called Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape, and we spent a solid 40 minutes on this question. So, yeah, if people want to hear more of my angry ravings about that, they can go check out that show too.
0: I will make a note now to put that in the description because I get shouted at by listeners and viewers for not doing that enough, so... um. I'll put make and release in the description. It's
1: it's cooperation, not competition. And and like you said earlier, you know, someone sitting in front of a green screen in their basement or shed uh, can reach millions of people, you know, and and that role is important. It's vital to all of this. It's not just the people that have knowledge about the crashes or whatever aspect of this that bring it. There needs to be an audience and a way to reach that audience. So your contributions as broadcasters is extremely important to this.
0: Shout out to all the people in sheds out there. Yeah. Um people who are not in flooded, sheds.
1: Flooded sheds especially. Yeah. Almost
0: <laughs> almost flooded sheds, yeah, as we say it. But at least it's cool today, which is nice. I can breathe. Speaking of time travel, we have had to record this piece a few days after the original interview. So if you listened to part one already, which so many of you have, so thank you for that. And the feedback, as always, has been wonderful, especially for Dr. Masters. A lot of folks loved hearing you talk, love hearing you talk, and have been discussing that book as well. So fingers crossed we see some extra sales coming in, too, and some opinions. And remember, leave that book review, too. Um, So it's going to sound like, what's Andy talking about? But like I say, we're two days after the original recording. Due to some audio gremlins in the system, and um, we're going to kind of finish up the conversation. We just talked about the U.S. hearings, the Mexican alien bodies, the follow-up, and we were going to talk about the NASA report, uh, the oft. Mm, disputed whether it was going to be about aliens green men flying saucers most folks i think realized it was a a report about a report it was a preliminary assessment um the nasa report came and went now i remember you saying you never saw the press conference yourself but you you saw some clips online um but the report is it what you kind of expected that nasa were going to come out and say there there's something there to study but here's how to do it and that's all there was
1: Yeah. By the way, can I just mention that it had been a a year since I spoke with you last and I get to talk to you twice in two days, which is just magical. We should do this every two days, I
0: think. (laughs) Make it a recording segment. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Um, Yeah. So you're right. I didn't watch it and I haven't really been paying attention to a lot of what NASA does because, you know, it's it's always going to be a nothing burger, I think. Like I, I mentioned to you you uh, last time we spoke two days ago, um, it's, it seems like NASA has known what's been going on for a long time. And much like the U.S. Air Force and especially the Office of Special Investigations, they've had access to information over a period of time that allows them to form some pretty good ideas about what's going on. And they're probably sitting on mountains of videos and photographs. And so, yeah, we're not going to get that. Unfortunately, and it's very clear, uh based on the overall vibe of the guy in charge. He told me his name last time, Bill
0: something. Bill Nelson, yeah.
1: Yeah, Bill Nelson, and then you know, same thing with Arrow, that Kirkpatrick guy. Just it seems to be the same old, same old. You know, the the divide and conquer, the redirects, the it's a whole lot of nothing. It's swamp gas, my ass. To to quote a guy I met and um. Can you uh, ask Cincinnati. why do you
0: think why do you think that is though? Because it surely for decades and decades and decades none of these organisations got involved in any capacity, but now it seems they're almost going out their way to get involved. But many would see it as, like you say, a nothing burger is the popular phrase, yeah. or they're being uh, dis- deliberately spreading disinformation or poo pooing the subject. Why do you think that is?
1: Well, I think they feel like they have to because. People, you know, uh, many of your uh, listeners and people that have been interested in this long time are starting to push for this. And there seems to be this mounting grassroots effort that's starting to pay off where things are happening, pressures being applied, not just here, but within Congress in the U.S. and elsewhere, um, even the Senate, obviously, with the Schumer bill that I think is up for a vote pretty soon. Um, so I think it's mostly like, like it is with Congress that they're trying to get out ahead of something that they know is happening. And, you know, like I've said before, I do think that a lot of this is being initiated and implemented by the visitors themselves, that there is some some point in time we've reached where it's time for people to know for whatever reason, you know, it's an impending cataclysm or we've just reached a point where we can finally understand what's going on and who's behind it. Um, So I think they feel an obligation to be involved in the conversation, but they're not opening the vaults and they're not going to anytime soon until they're forced to or feel that it's the appropriate time to do so. But I mean, think about how the Navy was put out in front of all of this initially, you know, and they're talking about changing the reporting structure, the hierarchy for pilots who see things. And that was all great, you know, and they legitimized through the Pentagon website, the FLIR gimbal go fast videos. So there was progress, but it was only coming from that organization at first. The, meanwhile, the Air Force is completely silent on this, and they know they know what's going on. They're the ones that were putting out these garbage reporting operations, grudge sign, blue book, uh, really since the 40s. So to me, it feels like more of the same, and it's kind of disheartening, but hopefully there's a, a sea change coming at some point.
0: You mentioned like that um, vault of videos that NASA has or would have potentially almost definitely more than likely i'll 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 commit to that much do people like me oversimplify it though to say they should just go back and look at all those historic videos where there are incredible things that are buzzing the space station various satellites in orbit It, it sounds to me a little bit like if you lived in a dorm with lots of your friends at college, and we'll use that American analogy, and you had CCTV set up in your kitchen, and someone was stealing from the fridge. It sounds to me like you've all called everyone into the room and said, you know what, someone's stealing from the fridge. Um, We're going to set up some traps to see who it is going forward, where you could just look back at the CCTV and find out who was doing it. And it just seems they're totally ignoring a whole swath of potential evidence sitting there. Is that too simplistic, though? Can you see any reason why they have to do it the way they're doing it, or should they just go back to watching the cameras
1: well, I think it's it's the same situation where, yes, that stuff likely exists, but who can have access to it you know so if if like uh, a sitting senator or a president is like, "I'd like to see everything you have in your vault, please, with the appropriate clearances, they could probably do that um, but they're they're not just going to open that to everyday people we could beat down the door and say hey show me the 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 video of who's stealing the food but it's not there why would they show it to us until they absolutely have to so yeah i do think it's there especially like there's obviously a lot of weird stuff going on with the moon and they were the first ones to go there and you know led the the Apollo missions. And then all of a sudden it abruptly stopped in 1972 and we haven't officially been back since. And I go into this in, in my most recent book, a good bit in the context of fiction, obviously, but I think there's a good bit of nonfiction in there as well. Um, and then you read, you know, like Ingo Swan's book, Penetration, where he has a different source for the same information that seems to indicate that there is a lot going on in the far side of the moon, that there's bases up there and um, people have, claim to have been taken there you know you have uh jerry wills you have terry lovelace who report going to what sounds like the exact same place on the moon you know so we're starting to reinvigorate this with the artemis missions and, and there's something that just seems a little off about that almost like we're doing this artemis thing to find water on the moon um that it will allegedly help with you know having a, a fuel source to get to mars and stuff like yeah. that so it's all legit on the surface, but then if you scratch that surface, you start to see things that, that raise questions about whether this is just part of that disclosure movement too, that we're starting to talk about the moon so we can be like, oh, actually, you know, we had this program, we were really building stuff on the moon, because that's what it was all about back in the 60s and 70s, it was about who can colonize the moon, not who can just get there, but who can colonize the moon, that's what we were after, and then we just kind of gave up on that, us and the
0: Russians, oddly, at the exact same time. Do you think they went there then? I know you've sort of said it, but they went to the moon and realized it was already colonized or not for colonizing.
1: Well, I, I think uh, they probably did. Well, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I can't know. So I'm speculating wildly here, <laughs> arguably. I
0: don't mind that yet.
1: Okay. Well, just so that's out in front of what I'm about to say. I think what happened is that future humans had set up a base on the far side of the moon a very long time ago. And this made its way into the narrative of Revelation, the future human past as well, and had been using it as sort of a temporal base around the time that we started uh, exploding nukes, around the time that we started to become uh, a more enlightened civilization, though that's obviously a relative term. Um, So, you know, then you don't have to keep jutting back and forth through time, not that it's seemingly that difficult because they're here a lot and often. Um, but, you know, that just what kind of makes sense to me in the context of these missions. If you did have something set up there and then we get to the moon where we're like, oh, damn, uh, who that? You know, what's going on up here? And so we start to have questions about it and then seemingly more interactions with them. And it gets to the point where it's like, yeah, let's just kind of poo poo that back away from it. We're not colonizing the moon anymore. But who knows, maybe in some 50, 60 years, we'll get to the point where we can start to acknowledge that our descendants already had. And <clears throat> clearly we're working with them. Terry Lovelace talked about seeing people in modern human military garb interacting with, working with uh, these individuals. So, yeah, I think, I think it's already happening. We're just not in a position to know about it yet.
0: Do you think there's anything to, and this comes from a man who is not in the slightest scientific like myself, that space as an environment is constructed conducive is that the word to, conducive, to, to time travel potentially and the way you have to manifest in and out that maybe that environment just suits it rather than the earth's atmosphere or underwater potentially
1: hmm. yeah i mean i i think that's a great question i think um and in my first book i talked about the mechanism with which this might happen based on very common patterns since einstein's first paper on general relativity in 1915 where this common thread, again, in a form follows function context, I mentioned that a few times in the first part of our uh, of our interview, where uh, really since Lenz and Thuring in 1917, two years after, uh, Van Stockham in the 1930s, uh, Godel in the 50s, Frank Tipler in the 1970s, theorizing that the way in which we could create closed time like curves that allow us to go forward locally, but into the global past. Uh, by reorienting those light cones toward the past, is with the rotation of a highly energetic or massive ring, sphere, or disk. And up until the 1970s with Frank Tipler, everything was, um, the calculations indicated that had to be infinitely large, like a galaxy, basically, but infinite. And then Frank Tipler showed that if you shrink that down, you can have a rapidly rotating disk a finite size that will still allow you to create those closed timeline curves. And there's obviously far more going on. There's much more involved with this, but that common thread I thought was important because that's exactly what UFOs are described as at least most of them. You obviously have triangular ones and, you know, and maybe that triangular crafts camped out on the backside of the moon. I referred to it in my second book as a floating fertility facility, because it seems to be the main operation for taking people and then almost like cattle walking them through uh these areas and then um extracting sperm and egg. You know, it's always sperm and egg over and over again. So maybe that was built with the moon blocking its construction so we can't see it and it's able to come and do the things that it did in order to do this. But the 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 actual spinning disks themselves seem to have the properties of a time machine. I list a number of case studies in my second book where space and time is manipulated in and around them, uh, possibly as Hal Putoff says, engineering the space-time metric. And you have Jim Penniston talking about the sphere of influence. Linda Jones, she sees the grass growing up really rapidly as this UFO is chasing her and her children. Um, Armando Valdez disappearing for five days, but only 15 minutes in the context of what is Menzi. So there's all of these indications that they are manipulating space time. But so so this is, you know, where it gets into the transmedium aspects, where it gets into uh, what is, how involved in our reality in linear time are they? So are they popping into space because it's easier? Are they popping into the atmosphere because it's the same underwater? It, I don't know. Like, I honestly don't know. And I can't answer that question. But if they are making a sort of bubble that insulates them from our normal frame of reference in this four dimension of space time that we that we observe. It could help explain the G-forces. It could help explain why we shoot at them and they can easily dodge our bullets because they see time at a different speed than us. But then if they are that insulated, would it matter if they popped into right now underwater, in the air, in space? I, I don't know. That's a great question. And I think um, it's one I'd love to ask them at some point.
0: No, I and mean, I love speculating on that kind of stuff as well. So I appreciate the appreciate the answer. Uh, no Delorean, no eighty-eight miles an hour. As far as I can tell from your answer, there, though, <laughs> no, I don't.
1: I don't think so. I think it's more complex than that. But I just had a dream about that yesterday, um, last night, actually, probably this morning because I kind of slept in. Where we were making all this food, and there were these leftovers, and we had a Delorean outside, and we we're like, "Why are we giving those the chickens? We can put them in the time machine." You guys want to go somewhere? And everybody's like, "Oh yeah, shit, let's get." Let's get the, the scraps in the time machine instead of feeding them to the chickens. It was a weird little, I don't know, scene in my head. I don't know what made me. Think because we talked about you that right it the day before. Now. Anyway, <laughs>
0: we, we, that's probably we what it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember. And folks will remember from part one, bit time travel. Um, before we got on to listener questions to finish off, which is weird saying that 15 minutes in, but. It you is, know, I know. It's. There's 20 minutes before this that people will hear as well. Um, yeah. i wonder. I'm
1: going to wear this same jacket and shirt every two days too, regardless of, even if I'm going to the gym or something, I'm just going to put this on every two days.
0: I'm telling you, your wardrobe is, like I said, that Homer Simpson wardrobe, 10 of the <laughs> yeah. same jacket, 10 of the same shirt. <laughs> I would love in gray and black clothes. So yeah, that would be me. Um, I wonder thinking of the ufo topic since you've got involved properly not since the age of eight but the last maybe five six seven eight nine ten years thinking about the book writing the book the second the third where do you see the topic now Where where is it immediate future going and what's its long-term future
1: wow yeah so uh i don't know if i've mentioned this to you or not but one one thing about writing my second book was trying to identify things I overlooked in the first. Um, one in particular is that aspect of g forces, which was pointed out to me by someone who claims to be an ex uh, intelligence officer and likely was based on the stuff they were telling me. Um, where if you are manipulating space time in and around that craft and changing the rate at which time passes, what looks like a 10,000 g acceleration to us would maybe be zero or one G to them. And people who have ridden in these craft report feeling no accelerations or decelerations whatsoever. And I think that's probably integrated with the propulsion system of these craft too, is that time manipulation so they don't feel what look like uh, head splattering G-forces from outside the craft. So stuff like that, I overlooked the role of AI, what that likely involves in the future with regard to helping us test time travel um, using, you know, avatars, biologically engineered things, stuff like that, not just robotic AI, uh, disease transmission, stuff like that. So it, I think, you know, my my thinking on this has changed considerably, uh, expanded because of conversations like this. You know, I I certainly don't have all the answers I don't claim to and and won't ever and haven't before and keep finding things that I overlooked. So, you know, it's good to to have these conversations because people will ask me something or tell me something. I'm like, Oh, wow. I hadn't considered that, you know? So I think, I think what's going to happen is we'll get to the point and we talked about this a little bit in the first, uh, the first part of this, where I think we'll get to the point where we start to realize that all of these seemingly divergent models are part of the same thing. And we talked about that a good bit in the first step and, and why, but then I also think within the next 50 to hundred years, will have an introduction of these individuals and we will know what's going on i i think you know nasa uh arrow all these bunk organizations can only uh push disclosure down the road so much especially if they're not really in charge of it if they're not the ones leading it so it does seem like you know and you hear lou elizondo and john ramirez and others talk about this 10-year time frame from 2017 with the new york times article to Full disclosure, and even if it's not full disclosure, I I can see how we're inching toward that Um, and and what that might mean for energy, for uh, worldviews, belief systems, religious and otherwise. I I think it would be somewhat uh, disruptive, but I don't think it's going to be this all out uh, cataclysm that a lot of people envision. And in fact, uh, Nathan from Liminal Frames uh, called it like a cosmic cataclysm or, or cos- cosmic consciousness cataclysm or something like that, where it's not just about this asteroid, you know, it's yeah. about a re- reimagination of who we are as humans in the realm of this greater consciousness, the super consciousness that clearly exists all around us in this unmanifested realm. So, yeah, I'm I'm super excited about it. You know, my my wife and I talk about this a lot. She's like, you know, I I get the sense that a lot of people feel something coming is it going to be bad and i'm like well what is bad you know how do we put those value judgments on it and and it, maybe it depends on who you are too you know if you if you have been paying attention and you you care about what's going on you're trying to find answers or seek enlightenment or anything like maybe you'll be in a better position than a lot of people who have just been calling bunk on this the whole time and, and haven't been paying attention at all because it's going to disrupt those worldviews a lot more
0: ironically time will tell uh but let's move let's move on to the listener questions one that came in uh do you know what it wasn't a question but it made me think of a question off the back of it so on the discord server which anyone who who pays for access to the podcast even from the patreon one dollar level gets access to the discord really nice community on there a lot of good discussion goes on and one of the regular contributors bb he put quite flippantly um he hopes we discuss the fact that Linda Moulton Howe claimed that Nordic aliens made the T-Rex. Now, that's a bit of a wild claim and statement. Yeah. And that's, that's probably in keeping with Linda Moulton Howe. But what it made me think, Michael, was, do you have a tap-out point in this conversation with UFOs where you can go along so far, but there comes a point you have to go, do you know what, that's, that's too much for me, and you have to yeah. kind of leave the conversation. <laughs>
1: I do, yeah, and and you know, it's funny to be having this conversation with you, especially in our the first part where I was kind of uh, uh, shitting all over my fundamentalist Christian upbringing, and um, and especially how that went into this last book. Um, but for the first year after publishing that book, I I very intentionally made no indication of my religious views, my political views anything, you know, it's just about let's approach this as scientifically as we can, even though it's hard, especially even in deciding what evidence is, we certainly can't apply the standards of evidence in, in most cases. Um, but take me out of it. You know, I I just want to talk about the legitimacy of theories, this theory, obviously, in particular, but I did draw a hard line with flat earthers. Um, that was kind of a non-starter for me. I, I would get asked to go on all these very, very different podcasts. And I did, you know, with, with people that clearly had very divergent views than I had, but I was just trying to offer the best explanation I could based on what they were asking. But I did draw the line with flat earthers, cause that's just nonsense. Um, I also like, as I sort of went off on a tangent in the first part of this too, with uh, the breakaway civilization idea, that's one that I just, that, I, I just have to put a hard stop on that because there's there's really no way in which that could be possible unless you do have time travel and they're jumping over our current point in time and taking their more advanced civilization that eventually evolves into them back into the past. But at that point, it's not a breakaway unless it's breaking away from the future. There is no separate trajectory that broke off from the past and became a highly advanced civilization, we would see that in the archaeological record. We find tiny little bones from our fossil ancestors five million years ago. Why wouldn't we see a massive civilization that leaves a scar on the earth in the same way that all of our civilizations do? Uh, Because we certainly would. So, yeah, I think everybody has a point where they sort of reach a discomfort level or an all-out, no, I I really don't want to discuss that. I always try to discuss things even if it's not super comfortable. But I mean, sometimes you just like something like that. You know, how could I say whether or not Nordics did or did not make T-Rex? Like it seems asinine, but I don't know. I mean, people can believe whatever they want, but there's a difference between belief and scientific knowledge. And I I try to tend toward the latter when possible.
0: Could be a very cool reboot of Jurassic Park in the future if the (laughs) the Hollywood studios are running out of ideas. Um, Yeah, Yeah, someone should get in
1: touch with Spielberg about that.
0: He's Spielberg. already dipping into
1: UFOs, so you know, just yeah. take a little farther with the Reptilians or Nordics or whoever it was. Get
0: Spielberg and Roland Emmerich together, who done Independence Day, and uh, see what they can cook up on that one.
1: Who's um, that? Roland Roland Demonic?
0: Yeah, he I was mean. the director of Independence Day. I want to say he was. Yeah. Pretty oh, sure. Okay. He's to yeah, blame for be the sequel. Cool. <laughs> Uh, next up, I have stolen a question. So believe it or not, folks, I do research these interviews and I was watching your interview with Vinny Adams from Disclosure Team. Hello to Vinny. Yeah, great, sure. Um, and I was looking through the comment section just to see what people said about the interview and, you know, spoilers, that's sometimes what I do just to see uh, people's opinions, good yes. and bad. And you had a question from Matty. Uh, in that comment section, and I've stolen this, so I don't even know if Matty is a crossover listener or not, or a viewer. Um, But Matty asks, my only question would be, and bear in mind this is from a previous interview, if the block time, brackets, block universe hypothesis is accurate, why would they be trying to change our behaviour? Why would they be trying to change our behaviour with respect to our negative ecological impact? Wouldn't that be a fruitless effort? They can't change anything.
1: Right. Well, that is a a great question. And I went into this in depth and I think chapter 13 of my second book or case study 13 and largely in the context of this cataclysm. uh, And we may have touched on this briefly in the first part of this, but um, whether or not. So how we view this idea of a cataclysm really makes a difference, whether we understand it in the context of the block universe theory where there's inherent self-consistency across all pre-existing moments in space-time, in which case, yeah, you can't change anything unless, and this is sort of important for this question, unless they had always had these interventions because they saw something, a path maybe that was leading somewhere negative um, and they had always intervened and it had always not changed it, but just led us down a path that was better, that was their future and therefore they have to always go back and do that. Otherwise, you know, it's not going to lead to that. But again, that would be change and you can't have that. So they always come back and they always help us. And I also looked at in the context of the nukes question, like how they shut down those missiles at Malmstrom and and another Air Force base, um, you know, in North Dakota, Were they doing this to see if they could in case they had to? or were they doing it to change something and and so the other model then is the many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics we have these multiple timelines in which case yeah you could have a change you could alter history to some extent that the new timeline is one that's cataclysm free there's no nukes that go off but then what happens does everyone have to jump over to that timeline or is it only the individuals who made that change that are now in that timeline so there gets to be issues really paradoxes you can call them anytime there is change but you're right in the block universe model it's not changing it it's just doing potentially doing what you had always done to help avoid something that you know you have to go back and do to avoid that thing if that makes any damn sense at all
0: yeah absolutely no thank you for that and thank you matty hopefully you heard that answer um question from soul explorer as a UFO thinker and respected member of the Butte, Montana community, have you ever come across any evidence supporting the rumour that President Eisenhower did in fact meet with future humans at the Cavalier Lounge in downtown Butte in the early 1950s? Or is that rumour one you'd need to be suffering heat stroke to believe?
1: Uh, he told me I'd laugh at that question. And yes, yes, I... <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, that's hilarious um no, no, there's no evidence of that and and yes, Nathan, that's hilarious,
0: yeah, I thought you might like that one uh, yeah, like no oh. we we
1: were hanging out he's he's uh he lives in montana too, and we we met up for a music festival here, and i think I think I told him that or something I don't know, we'd had some beers, but I think I told him that and kind of had him going along with it for a while that that's That's where the meeting actually took place. I don't remember what happened, but I completely forgot about that until you just brought it up. So yeah, kind of an inside joke, I guess. But
0: yeah, no, no, thanks for that. I like that one. Now, listen up. The next two questions are from Newman and Newman puts in some wonderful questions to the podcast. You might want to get a pen. Yeah, Newman. Yeah, the old Seinfeld reference. Mm. Um, However, he gives a little bit of context with the question. So do you want me to just to go ahead and read the question or do you want the context first? Uh, No, let's raw dog it. Just give it to me. Cool, absolutely, I'm going in raw. So, why does Dr Masters consider time travel from and to an object at different coordinates in time easier than just visiting other planets at different space coordinates? Unavoidably, planets, solar systems and galaxies also move. One would therefore assume that to some degree, interstellar travel through space cannot be avoided to compensate for these changes in arrangement of celestial bodies while time travelling. Could the degree to which travel through space would be necessary possibly set limits on how far in time time travel could be done?
1: Um, Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So as far as ease, until we know how they're doing it, I I really don't have an answer because I can't know what's easy and hard in the context of the specific mechanisms involved with their machines and their process because clearly it involves um aspects of mechanics and engineering and and material sciences and physics that we just don't fully comprehend yet most agree that we would need some unified theory of quantum mechanics and general relativity um, in order to really even understand space-time because we don't yet so the question of moving through space and time this is a mistake a lot of people make as they separate the two so yeah the planets are moving but relative to what, you know, so you, you can't separate space time in that way. It's like if you're moving through an airplane and you're throwing a ball in the air, you can easily catch it as it comes back down to your hand. But it looks like that ball is moving at, you know, however fast planes fly, I don't know, like 700 miles per hour or something. Yeah. So We're all moving together. So if you think of space and time as separate, yeah, you're going to have problems like that creep in with regards to how we're moving through space-time, but space-time is just one thing. It's one entity. Really, we've understood that since Minkowski, uh, one of uh, Einstein's mentors and co-authors. So, so yeah, if if we understand space-time as all things, planets, and all these different positions, you know, and, and some even argue—I forget his name—I read a book by him a couple years ago. Some uh, British philosopher uh, physicist who writes about how there is no movement. Um, there's just different positions of things, but there's really no time. And if you take out time, you take out movement, then this question becomes moot as well. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's that we're con- we're not conceptualizing space time in the right way that it actually exists in the block universe, because if you're, so think of it this way, you can picture sort of a, a map and sometimes it's called landscape time because of this. And you're kind of jumping from one point on this two dimensional surface to another, And those things are static in that place and it's the same thing as we move through four-dimensional block time that it's really a movement across static moments that exist in the present and past of the individuals who perceive them in those points in time so yeah it may be no different than jumping to you know another position in space there could be a lot of correlates there just that we don't quite yet understand um so yeah i don't know if it's easier or harder uh i do think there's probably upper limits I sort of hypothesized on that based on some uh, in, in my first book, I mentioned how you might have to move at a very high rate of speed as light cones are reoriented toward the past to move farther into uh, the future of that past. So I think the speed that we see, and especially when they're kind of hovering and take off rapidly, I think that's probably when they're traveling back in time and they're using that linear speed and special relativity to go farther into the past in the context of those reoriented light cones. So speed might be a factor. They might not be able to go fast enough to get back any further than 45, 50, maybe 60,000 years. And then what's funny is, is as I was about to publish the book, I came across Jim Peniston's uh, account because he was talking about the chromosomes and how they're having problems in the future with reproduction, which I'd also talked about a lot in this book. But then in, before writing the second book, I came across his hypnotic session, his hip, regress, regressed hypnosis or whatever it's called. And he's talking about uh, how they do have limits. He says that exact thing, that there's limits to how far they can go back in time. And he doesn't specify why that is, but just it was another kind of one of those weird things that corroborated something I had already sort of mapped out based on um, these patterns and just the physics involved. But uh, then came across a a case where this individual is allegedly receiving information specifically from them. That corroborates what I'd written. And that's obviously something that could just be a pure coincidence and completely insignificant. But I thought it was interesting. So, yeah, I do kind of think there are limits. Um But clearly they can go back at least, you know, 10, 20,000 years from our past. Who knows at what point they're coming from their own past and moving beyond us? Because you know, you see a lot of the cave paintings, the intentional cranial modification, carvings, just a lot of indications in our archaeological record that the same individuals we're interacting with now, we're also interacting with our ancestors.
0: As a follow up, uh, same, uh, same submission from Newman, Sunday folks, forgive me for having a bit of a brain fart. Uh, so again, we'll raw dog it, as you say in dr master's opinion are the future humans teaching abductees like we contemporary humans like to train monkeys to perform sign language and certain tricks simply to test their cognitive and learning abilities or are they deliberately implementing knowledge and teaching new abilities for future use any thoughts on whether this could have an impact on our future course of evolution
1: yeah uh both it's very clear that both are happening um yeah you look at any number of these abduction accounts and quite often there are um images conveyed information conveyed oftentimes telepathically or they'll actually show on a screen even to small children who don't fully comprehend what they're seeing and in the first case study in my second book i talked about mike and leo dwarshak who are shown all of these images and they're confusing to them but they sort of were processing what it was and it may have impacted them uh, throughout their lives. Who knows? And something I was talking to Darren King about this and just that's sort of a private conversation we had, not that it's like you know, confidential or anything, but the question was, well, why these individuals? You know, why not sit down the leaders of sovereign nations and then telepathically implant this knowledge and information into them? And And what we decided is that you know people like us who are having these conversations are talking about these people and their experiences a lot you know so it's not just that one person and whatever they do in their life with that information but all of the people who know of that and research it and study it and talk about it with all of these other people who then we're spreading that message you know we don't have the exact details of it we didn't get the telepathic download per se but then the overall message is still making its way into the broader public um, but yeah, they're clearly also interacting with and giving information to certain people. It's impossible to know what that end is. And, and I think this indicates they are future humans as well, that they know what that information is going to do and when, because they already have that future knowledge or they wouldn't be coming back to do it in order to uh, add that information and whatever comes from it into these individuals in these various times. So... Intent is obviously difficult. We talked about this a good bit in the first part of this interview. We can't know why they're doing it, but there is absolutely no doubt that they are doing it. Um, It's just, you know, it'll take time to find out why.
0: And a final question from Peter, is there any evidence to suggest that non-human intelligences or future humans are either assisting or combating global warming? For example, terraforming to suit their physiologies, or maybe the rumored 2027 date is when they step in and deploy anti-global warming technologies in public.
1: You know, it's a great question. It's not something I've looked into a lot with regard to that question specifically, but You know, we can look at the messages that are given, the technology they have, you know, if it's based on zero point energy, which we know is orders of magnitude between 50 and 100, uh, just to kind of squeeze that cosmological paradox down a little bit, orders of magnitude more powerful than nuclear energy. And we have obviously seen what we can do with uh, nuclear fission and fusion. So. You know, if if that is, and, and really since E.B. Tyler, he's a well-known anthropologist from the early 1900s, recognized this correlation very early on, that the complexity of a civilization is directly correlated with its ability to extract and utilize energy. And that's really what we're facing here. And we've gone through all these iterations of different types of energies that we extract and use. Um, even harnessing the nuclear force with these nuclear reactors. But again, it's just heat. We're just heating up water and making steam again. We're not actually really harvesting that energy and using it in a one-to-one ratio. We're still using primitive technology through steam, which goes back you know, to the early 1900s, maybe even earlier. So yeah, I think it would revolutionize our ability to use energy. And if it's clean energy, obviously it would mitigate the problems that we're having with climate change. And, and you know, to circle back to your earlier question, I, that's kind of a place I draw a line too, because there's very clear undeniable evidence that humans in the Anthropocene have been affecting the climate and you can see it all around you. Uh, it, it doesn't matter where you live, it's very clear. So yeah, it's, it's basically science deniers, I guess is what we're saying. That's where I draw the line is with science deniers. But yeah, so I think, you know, that might be a part of it because again, you got to ask, as, as Paul Heineck asked, and I talked about this in that um, <clears throat> lecture I gave in Phoenix that I mentioned to you last time. Uh, how would they find us, and why would they care? Is what he says with regard to this this time travel idea, and it helps check both those boxes. How would they find us? Because they are us, just in the future of what is, um, you know, their own past. And why would they care? Why would they care about this planet unless they are stakeholders in it? unless they have to live on this planet after us. So obviously an extraterrestrial civilization with their own planet, if they did care about ours and its resources, they would just come here and take them, take them back to their planet. But if they are us from the future, they would very much care about what we're doing to it. And especially if we did get close to the point where we're about to nuke each other, because it's not just killing us, having a lot of us gone is probably a win for them because there's fewer people that are contributing to these problems in the environment and elsewhere. That then affect them in the future so yeah i think it's important to recognize that if they if they do have these technologies they would be incentivized to give many of them to us in the past if it can help ameliorate some problems that all of us will face as humans in that future
0: Awesome. Listen, that is a, we'll wrap it up there because you've been very good with your time. Like I say, over the course of two days, um, just want you to let the listeners and viewers know uh, what are you working on anything right now? What is coming out in the near future and how can they follow you? Get in touch.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I've got a website, uh, michaelpmasters.com with the contact page. And I, I kind of stopped updating the, the interview part, but I do update speaking engagements um, just For people in various places that want to attend and interact and talk one on one, because that's a lot of fun is meeting people. And and like I said, you know, I learned so much from meeting people and hearing their experiences, because a lot of people have had some really tremendous experiences with regard to this phenomenon. So um, I do update that. I'm I'm not really working on any new projects. Well, that's not true at all. Um, I'm not working on any individual like, book projects, but I am collaborating with um, a couple of researchers, one at Harvard, one in the UK actually somewhere, I forget the name of his university, to, to really kind of parse out what, what we can know based on evidence, how we conceptualize evidence, and then how um, we perceive these various models based on how they fit the evidence, how they fit our worldviews. So it is something, you know, there's a lot of evidence for it, but it's crazy, but it doesn't really conform to our worldview. So how would we plot that? So it's we're kind of trying to figure out ways to frame the different models in the context of the amount of evidence to support it, how outlandish it seems and how much it does or does not conform to the way people view the world now. So it's it's kind of a fun, ongoing project. And then we're working on a couple of other papers about the crypto terrestrial Hypothesis, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, and he's already published one, um, or it's, I think it's in publication about the ultra-terrestrial and the many ways that that is viewed. So, yeah, there's some collaborative collaborative things happening. Mostly, I'm sort of kind of coming back uh, to my academic roots a little bit more and, and collaborating with people that are very open-minded about this, uh, but we're also trying to take a more qualitative and quantitative approach to the question. So. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the the thing right now, but who knows, you know, as, as fast as everything's changing, um, might get wrapped up in something else happening. Cause every day seems to bring a new, uh, new set of questions to ask, which is great. It's, it's, I mean, looking back even 10 years ago where we are now is phenomenal. I think it's, it's something we should all be excited about.
0: Well, I would encourage folks to click the link in the description or if you just go on to any reputable bookseller Amazon's always the most popular one, but I know folks like to support local booksellers too, wherever they can. So, Revelation, the Future Human Past is the latest publication by Dr. Michael masters Make sure you check it out. A very different book to his original first two as well, but a nice way to round off and complete that trilogy. I think, like we talked about, the cover says it all. I've got it behind me here if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening, go check it out. You won't be disappointed. And uh, again, Dr. Masters, it won't be a year before I speak to you again. and um, we'll make sure it's sooner than that, okay?
1: Well, even if it is, let's just do two days in a row again and uh, knock it out. But yeah, it's always always great talking to you, Andy. I love your show. love what you do. So keep it up, man. Thanks.
0: That is all for this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. Apple and Spotify do make a huge difference to the algorithm. If you're checking the show on YouTube, please don't forget to like and leave a comment on here as well. Any sharing you do is very much appreciated on any social media platform. And finally, you can listen to shows ad-free and sponsor-free in their glorious full versions by subscribing for less than the price of a coffee on Apple, Spotify, 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 just search That UFO Podcast Premium. YouTube, you can sign up and be a member, or you can do that through Patreon.com. Thank you very much for listening, folks. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer More like a hubcap designed by Chaucer
1: A little Baroque and quite steampunk Like Alice was playing bass for the parliament, of fuck The little fucker hovered right outside of my window And when I shoved out the screen he made it an issue I don't think he expected me to see his ass But I'd had some champagne and smoked a little orange.